Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Matt, do you know what Sebastian Vettel's favorite hobby is? Making me defend him week in and week out on this podcast. I was listening to an interview with him. His biggest passion in life is gardening and farming. I have never felt more distant from my hero than I do at this moment because I hate both of those things. <laughs> it's lights out and away we go! Is that clock? Is that clock going so It is! It's off! Oh my goodness me! Oh God! Michael Schumacher hits Stephen Coulthard at his house! He's done it! Jensen Button wins! And I've got to stop because I've got a lovely black throat. Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. It is an interesting week this week. We've had a good race today and we've got a good panel on today and they sound amazing. Matt, you've you've been a bit of a robot for the duration of this podcast. Um, how are you today? I am no longer going to Funky Town, so hopefully I'll be able to participate to my full extent today. Glad to be here. Considering you're on the other side of the world, I think to our listeners, you really sound like you're sitting next to me. You're in front of me right now. This is amazing. So, Emma, how are you? Have you um, done anything differently this week? Yeah, I've got uh, a new microphone. So it's, uh, it's working quite well, actually. <laughs> when you're a nerd like me, it, these things make you very happy. And all of our listeners are going, yeah, all right, I don't really care. Um, let's... Let's just start by saying this week we all saw the race. That's because we, we just wanted to. No one wanted to volunteer not to. The only person who could have was Matt because he, he did have other commitments um, for this weekend. But you still watched it, didn't you, Matt? Absolutely. I'm not missing the return to Imola. I don't care who's in town or where I'm going, what dates I'm missing. F1 comes first unless I'm explicitly told I'm giving somebody a tattoo. Cal, you're next. So um, those that listened to the show last week, they know that I've just dodged a bullet because I, I did put my, uh, my skin up for, for claiming this week. But no one will be guessing because we all watched it. So we're going to get into the race review a little later on in the show. Before that, we're going to go through the latest news and some rumours. We're going to discuss a bit about the history of Imola and um, also a bit about what's going on in the nerds at the moment. So, Callum, we had a... React vote on our Facebook page this week talking about which driver has been best this season so far. What's, what's the sort of response been from our F1 community out there? The response has been ridiculous. So we had Ricardo, Verstappen, Bottas, Leclerc and Hamilton because they were the top five in the championship at the time. But I can tell you that interestingly, Ricardo is smashing it by over 50%. In my opinion, Gasly's been been the best but clearly the f1 fans think ricardo uh, i think emma's been paying a lot of lot of scots or aussies to be liking uh, danny rick because this is unusually high for us as well we've had a lot of reactions on this so emma's been dipping into a pocket not just for a microphone but for danny rick fans as well i think it's funny you say that we've our, our facebook page it's it reaches what well, i don't know it's a few hundred thousand a week but most of those are english the second highest is american and third is australian so we do have a lot of um 
uh, Australian fans um, that, that follow us, which is incredible when you're sitting in England on the other side of the world. But Matt, who would you have said is your favourite this season so far? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be charged with bias here, but it has to be Charles Leclerc for me. Uh, Mr. Consistency, uh, outperforming Seb on a level that even Seb can't understand, and fighting and clawing his way into a points finish with a car that shouldn't even be there. Absolutely incredible for me. It's awe-inspiring to watch him race. I think he's getting a little bit overlooked, but Gasly's also doing amazing things. It's so tight in the top five. On fan favorites, it's not in the points, though. <laughs> and what about you? It's a pretty obvious answer for me, isn't it? It's got to be Daniel Ricciardo. It's yeah. his last um, season at Renault, and he's taken the car to P3 twice this season. And um, I absolutely love him. He's an absolute legend, an absolute hero. Um, my my husband is like, oh, Emma, really? <laughs> Jealous? <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I know. She was really licking that also. <laughs> <laughs> Takes to get in there to a whole new level with that. Right. Callum, who is your driver of the season? Driver of the season so far would be Pierre Gasly. I think the guy's been class. Like, the, the car he's in to the positions he's been finishing in. Like, yesterday he put it on fourth, fourth on the grid. Absolutely outrageous. That car shouldn't be there. It just shouldn't. So he has been magnificent for me. Magnificent. What a word. I think I agree with you, actually, Cal. Um, it's that it's between him and Hamilton. I'm obviously going to say Hamilton, though, because he's done some pretty amazing things this year. So we have a nerds competition at the moment. I just quickly want to tell our listeners about which we launched on. I think it was Friday. Now, no one's won it yet, but it was a first come first competition. The idea is that you go to www.formulanerds.com and you find Minnie Lewis. Um, now, if you want to find the details of this, just click on the competition. It's on our website. But essentially, Minnie Lewis is hidden somewhere within our website. And if you can find Minnie Lewis, you screenshot it to us, and then you win an original F1 painting created by our very own artist, Richard. Now, this painting is cool as hell. I'm, I'm actually gutted that I can't have it, to be honest. I, I even considered getting Claire to uh, magically find Lewis, but her surname would probably give it away when that email came through. So we're going to take a quick break. On the, on the other side, we're going to talk about news, rumours, everything about Imola, and don't go anywhere. Are you looking for F1-based content to spice up your social media feeds? Well, in that case, you're in luck. The Formula Nerds are here to cater to your every need. New from JML, The Range, Robert Dias and Asda, it's Formula Nerds Instagram. Have you ever thought about following our Facebook and Instagram feeds? You might have said, well, probably not. And that's okay. We're here to talk you through every step of the process. Follow us. Smash that like button, son. Get it done. Get some F1 content down you and beef up your socials. Welcome back. So, Kellum, let's have a run through of the latest news, driver rumours. Where are we with the signings? I've, I, for one, have lost track of, of where we're at. Alfa Romeo have confirmed they are retaining both drivers, Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen, until the end of next season. They are also keeping the partnership with Sauber running until the end of next season as well. So Alfa Romeo team could end up with a complete and utter revamp top to bottom at the end of 2021. Pierre Gasly has been confirmed for Alfa Tauri next season, but Kvyat has not. What I did hear today was that Tsunoda has been linked with it, with him being linked with Honda. So there's a possibility that Tsunoda will be driving for AlphaTauri next season alongside Gasly. As for other driver lineups, I am not sure. But I can say that Fernando Alonso said this week that George Russell was his pick to be the future star of F1. And as the actual quote was... Of all of them, George Russell is the one that surprises me every weekend. How he's driving the Williams, zero mistakes. <laughs> and obviously, George Russell was made up with that. And judging by Ollie's laughing, he's clearly seen this race that happened today. <laughs> um, he did a little bit of a grosjean, didn't he? And pissed all over Alonso's comments. So 
Alonso is hoping that that article will be forever deleted after Russell today. Jumping on the uh, Williams train, you know, we had discussed last week whether or not George Russell would be retained by Darlton and the Williams team going forward. It was actually announced this week, even though there's not a contract in place or any updates, that they are secure, they are safe, they will be retaining the same lineup going forward, which is a huge relief for, I think, F1 fans around the world and specifically George Russell. Shall we just talk a bit about something that's just happened in the UK? Well, in England specifically, we've gone, we're going back into lockdown. The the first thing I thought, actually, rather than that's not very good for me, was what does this mean for all the F1 team that are based in, in England? From what I'm seeing so far, there is art, there are articles around about this, and I'm sure further details are going to keep coming and coming, but this is not going to impact the proceedings Certainly, Formula One are not going to admit that at the moment. It's, it's very much, they have the plans in place already. As other countries go into lockdown, they should be still able to, to, to continue their, their operations. But of course, that could change. We don't know what's going to happen. It's been an incredible season so far, and I really hope that we're not going to lose the end of it. So let's talk about this week. This is a very historic track for, for a number of reasons. Emma, I know you've got a, a lot of thoughts on this. Matt, you do too. Let's just spend 10 minutes talking about what we think about the history of this. Matt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it to you. Well, going back through the history of Emma is just a trip down memory lane because there are so many huge names attributed to it from the very beginning, highs and lows. Uh, you know, the very first person to drive at Emma was Alberto Ascari in 52 or 53 when it opened. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger in that in that time frame. That was Lewis Hamilton before dominance had been seen like that. Jim Clark was the first winner there. It wasn't an actual championship race. It was one of the demo races they used to do just to basically boost awareness and try and build those relationships in the early 60s. 1982 was one of my team's biggest kerfuffles ever. Uh, that was the year that they had the elder Villeneuve and Peroni were told to slow down to save fuel. And Peroni passed him going into the last straight and of course set off a huge show that we could do a whole podcast on going through that rivalry and the falling out because of that. Uh, there was Gerard Berger's massive crash in 1989 at Tamburello. Uh, one of the scariest crashes that I've ever seen in F1. Uh, that same race was actually the beginning of the turning point in the Senna Prost rivalry. Basically they had a gentleman's agreement going into the restart. Whoever's in first place going in the first corner will take it. Uh, Elaine held to that. I think Ayrton forgot. Uh, passive going into it, and it just set off that entire storyline that became the story of the early 90s in F1 and really catapulted those two names, even ab above their track success, into icon realm. There's also Nigel Mansell's <laughs> 360 spin in 1990, demonstrating that uh, he is the epitome of hold my beer, watch this. And then, unfortunately, you know, I think the thing everybody remembers Emma four was that weekend in 94. I know Emma has a little bit about one of those incidences, uh, but you know, people seem to forget that a, there was a massive inadvertent airplane crash basically from Rubens Barrichello that given the circumstances of what happened that weekend, it is nothing short of a miracle that he survived much less walked away with what he did. There is Ratzenberger on Saturday, which Emma will be touching on. I think this entire weekend from 94 is kind of the equivalent in motor racing of when the space shuttle challenger exploded mm -hmm. or when JFK was assassinated. Everybody knows where they were when they saw it live or when they saw it for the first time. And Ollie, you actually hadn't seen the, uh, Ayrton Senna crash until this week. And he, it, it's emotional, even all these years later and hard to watch when you say I've, I've, yeah, just to touch on that. I was, I was three when it happened. I, I've always avoided watching the race because I, everyone knows what happened seeing snippets of it here and there. I, I went back and I watched the entire thing from the, the, the moment the live coverage started, so that the entire warm-up, knowing what was going to happen, obviously, the entire race, all the way through to the, the end of the live broadcast where you know, uh, there was an announcement. It was not an enjoyable view, put it that way. I thought that as, as, a, as an F1 fan, it, it was essential viewing. I couldn't really be sitting here today talking if I hadn't seen it in, in full and experienced how it was. But it, it was really painful, really painful. I'd, it's not something that I'll, I'll ever, a race I'll ever watch again. I personally think the biggest impact Emil has had on the sport is what came with that weekend. You know, changing over to asphalt runoff areas, higher fences, uh, upgrading the track medical facilities, 
you know, remember the two helicopter rule that was enforced at the Nurburgring this year? That is a direct result of Emblem 1994. You know, the safety wheel tethers uh, during that race in 94, you had a tire going down the pit lane and hurting four mechanics. There was another crash that I can't remember who it involved that hurt eight spectators. The safety, the medical attention, and the consideration given to the drivers is all tied to this track. And it's just, you know, going back through and seeing some of these stark reminders of great events and dark events is a reminder of why this track is so important, why it's so historical, and why it's named after the boss, Enzo Ferrari. I think we'll talk about the Sunday of that weekend a little bit, but before we do, let's let's talk about what happened before that because it's occasionally over, overshadowed, don't you think, Emma? Yeah, I mean, we tend to associate Emma with Ayrton Senna's death, but I would like to pay tribute to Roland Ratzenberger in this podcast purely because even though I wouldn't say he's the forgotten driver of Emma, but he isn't remembered as much as Senna and he really deserves to be. So not many fans know much about him, apart from his accident during qualifying. Um, it, it led to his death, but the not a lot of fans know how popular and well-respected he was throughout the paddock, not just from his team and his peers, but from other drivers as well, because they all spent a lot of time racing against him in, in other championships. Um, he His F1 career was essentially very short, but he had a wealth of experience in motorsport. His career started back in 1983 when he raced the German Formula Ford Championship. And he had a lot of success in this category as well. He um, finished second in the German Championships and then he finished on the podium at Brands Hatch for the Formula Ford Festival as well. So not a lot of fans know much about Roland Ratzenberger. As soon as you hear his name, you automatically remember his death rather than what came before that. Um, in 1987, he competed in the World Touring Car Championships as well. And then he moved on to British Formula 3000. So you can see this driving experience starting to flourish um, with the results that he was getting in all of these different championships. He then entered into Le Mans and he drove in the Group C supercars and his best finish was fifth for Toyota back in 1993. Um, so then in, in 1994, he was he was offered a drive at Simtech and it was Simtech's very first season in Formula One. They were a small team based in based in Oxfordshire. And it was their it was their very first season in, in Formula One. So he he gained the seat into that team. He got it literally days before the 94 season started. So he didn't really have any testing or much practice time in the car. He literally just got straight into that car. Um, and then they had the, the first race in Brazil uh, for the 94 season opener. Normally we see Brazil the back end of the, the Formula One season, but back in 94, it was the, it was the season opener and he failed to qualify due to technical problems with the car. And then they had a, a big rainstorm, which stopped him from providing a, a kind of fast lap and on a dry circuit. Then they went to Japan and he finished 11th. But in, in that Japanese, it was the Pacific Grand Prix. There was 15 retirements in that race. Wow. And he finished 11th. Um, and then at, at Imola, which was back then, it was the San Marino Grand Prix. It was to be his second ever Formula One start. And in practice, we had Rubens Barrichello, who escaped a horrific crash with quite minor injuries. And I, I, I think the, the build-up to the race this weekend, you, you, they replayed um, the, the Rubens Barrichello incident. And I it just, I was absolutely wowed by it. I cannot believe he came out of that with such minor injuries. But then in qualifying, Roland ran wide and he clunked a kerb, which apparently damaged the front wing and nose of his car. And then on the next quick lap, he approached the Villeneuve chicane at over 200 miles an hour. And back then the cars were so, so quick. And he just, he drove it flat out and the nose failed on the car 
making it completely undrivable. And at that point, he was purely a passenger and he went into the barriers and he died instantly. And what made made the whole situation quite poignant was say the day after Roland died, he, you know, Senna uh, passed away as well. But after qualify, after, you know, the whole thing was stopped, Senna wanted to take the Austrian flag into his car so that when he finished the race at Imola, he could fly it over the finish line because Senna actually had a lot of respect and really, really liked Roland as a driver, as a man and as a friend. But again, it was just such a poignant moment because Senna was, as we all know, you know, I've watched the, the documentary and things like that on Senna as well. And it's such an emotional weekend, but going into the race, which I honestly think the, my personal opinion, they shouldn't have started that race. We race weekend should have been cancelled. But he wanted to fly the Austrian flag over the finish line, which I think is quite poignant. Um, but I then Simtech ran the rest of the season with for Roland written on his written on the car, even when they brought in a new driver. They still had his name on the car as a tribute to him. But I I just wanted to to pay tribute to him on this podcast because as I said, he's He's, he's not forgotten, but he's not as well remembered um, in his Formula One, very short Formula One career as what Senna is, because obviously Senna was one of the greatest Formula One drivers there ever was. Um, but he, I just I just feel that I had to pay tribute to him in this podcast. He, he had such a great career before Formula One, and it's such a shame that he was able to work so hard and get to the top, the pinnacle of his career, and it took him. Thank you for that, Emma. I mean, it's it's really emotional. It's really touching. I, I can see I can see all of our faces when we're having this conversation. I think it it was the most horrific weekend in motorsport history. We we'll, we've all got our opinions on whether the race should have happened and all, everything like that. But it it does show how you know when when you have marshals on track and they they red flag sessions because of curbs failing and things like that. There is a reason that they are doing this, um, and we cannot ever and we should not ever be annoyed about these things because they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it because of history. We, um, we did run a poll on our uh, Facebook group this weekend asking, how do you feel about Imola coming up? We had a lot of responses, actually. We had 112 people said they can't wait. 17 said they had mixed feelings about it, but seven said that 1994 will be the only thing that they think about this weekend. That's really interesting because during the race build-up, um, I watched Martin Brundle talk about Imola and he actually said that um, the drivers will be thinking about Senna every time they turn into Tamburello. And that's got to that's got to have a massive effect um, on anyone that, that goes and drives that circuit. Now, every time you go into Tamburello, you're going to immediately think of Ayrton Senna and it's going to have it's going to have like a kind of stigma attached to it now. So every time you go to Emila, every time you, you go round Tamborello, you're going to think of that race in 94 and you're going to be reminded of the horrific accidents. They even redesigned the track to ensure that didn't happen again. And, you know, the the effects of that race will are still being felt in the world. You know, Hockenheim was taken off the schedule in 95 for safety upgrades. Emila came out in 1996, I believe it was, until they came back, you know, there are great moments at Imola, you know, the blinder stupid entanglement with Montoya and Schumacher in 2004 is a great memory. However, like you say, that stigma, that dark cloud of 94 deserves to be remembered and will always be there. I do want to make a small caveat on that about honoring Ratzenberger and not watching the aftermath of his wreck uh, because the F1 directors handled that horribly. It is traumatic and it is not what the F1 community needs to remember Ratzenberger for, as Emma was saying, uh, they did not cut away from the on-track care. It is very difficult, scary, and private. I actually, I heard what Martin Brundle was saying. He he actually said that because he was in that race and he said that obviously when they were continued racing, it was like they had to, I think it was like the following year or something like that. I don't know, but um he said they had to drive past a pool of Ayrton's blood for 55 laps. That that was like exactly what he said. 
And I just, the minute he said that, I had tears in my eyes because I thought, I, I can't believe it. So it just kind of reiterates my point of every time you drive through Tamburello, all, all you see is Senna in that wall. And that is quite, it's quite horrific. I'd, I'd never heard that comment from Brundle, but it, it just sent the shiver yeah. through my spine, to be honest. And it's, it's, it's horrific that yeah. that race restarted, really. But that's what happened. I don't think they should have gone back, but that's just my... my what, for this weekend, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I, well, there's a number of reasons. Like, they've made so many changes to the track, which I agree with in the sense that they had to make it a lot safer. There are areas of the circuit that they've not made any changes to, which are still actually quite dangerous. But there are areas where you had really exciting racing and they've changed it so much to the point it's now boring. And I sort of knew that Imola was going to, we kind of, the minute they announced it on the calendar, I thought, I don't think we're going to see like a hugely exciting race from this because they have made so many changes to it. But um, again, I, I also don't think that we should have actually gone back because the whole weekend has just been about um, what happened in 94. Is, is this track just a bit, it's just not for F1? Is it too fast for F1? They've had to adapt it too much. Is it just not an F1 circuit that's meant to be? Is that, is that how, how do we look at it? What's the problem here? It is an old school track, but I, it's just my opinion at the fact that they have made so many changes to it. I just don't feel like for the modern cars that we have now and how advanced they are, and how much rely, how much we rely on strategy and tires. I just don't think the track suits the cars anymore, and it kind of creates a bit of a bit of a stagnant race. And I, certainly, that's what we saw today until a, you know, safety car and stuff like that. But I think for me, that's that's definitely, it's definitely the case. And it's not only a case of I feel like the tracks redesign hindered the racing. I think it's also the cars. You know. Back in the early 90s, you know, we always talk about close racing. That's the whole reason we have the redesign coming up. That DRS straight on the main straight would be impressive if they were able to follow closely. You have to get a good drive out of the last two corners to be within touching distance in that DRS zone on the main straight. And they were washing out so horribly today that nobody was able to draft around that corner or even be within DRS. And it just created the choo-choo effect. And it just, I applaud them for the redesigns. The redesigns have not helped the racing, but they have helped track safety. So it's this sliding curve and balancing act. Uh, in time, they may get it right, but in the current setup, barring uh, fiascos, it is not, it's lost the soul, but it's safer. So kind of choose your poison. Now, like you said, Matt, there have been some really good memories at this track. And before we all um, crack up, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about some of those epic moments that occurred today. What really grinds my gears is when you go onto a website and then there's a button or a a link that says, click here to donate on PayPal. But at the Formula Nerds, we are all volunteers. We do this in our spare time. It costs us money to run websites, to run podcasts, to buy all of the software that we need. But rather than ask for you to donate money with nothing in return, we started our own shop where you can Buy something cool, get a new hoodie, get a t-shirt, get get something you like, and you can help us. Because every single penny that we make from sales on our online store contributes to the nerds. That's why you will never find a click here to donate on PayPal button. Head over to formulanerds.com forward slash shop. So let's review the race. Like I said, we've all seen it, so it's not going to be one of those let's guess the race results this week, but there there, there were some really mixed opinions of this track. Was it Bustle who said that he thought this was one of the greatest fun tracks to drive this weekend, was it? I believe he did say that, yeah. And then you've got um, Kvyat. I'm not going to say it because it's a swear word, but he referred to track limit penalties. Then... Hamilton came out and said this is going to be an immensely boring race I think Norris had a few opinions as well there, there was really mixed opinions and actually I thought it was the wrong way around I wouldn't have thought the young drivers would like this I'm sure it's a great track to drive you know it's still a very demanding circuit especially with the redesigns it just doesn't lend itself to great racing in the traditional sense in this day and age with the way the cars are designed you know you're still doing 
you know, 200 miles an hour down the main straight, you're still having the elevation changes. And it's still fun to drive, I would imagine. It's not fun to watch. I thought, again, we, we've discussed it in the past few shows about F1's um, camera setup and their editing and their directing of it. I, I didn't feel that it worked brilliantly this weekend. It was a lot of very close-up camera views rather than the long, you know, the, the long sweeping corners, which is obviously part of the track dynamics. We also, this weekend, didn't have practice one and two like we normally do. I think F1 were just trying something new, weren't they? Just saw it as an opportunity to try something a little bit different. I didn't miss it, and I don't think the teams or the drivers missed it either. Judging by what we saw today and yesterday, I don't really think it's made too much of a difference, has it? My, my understanding is that it was due to the, obviously, back-to-back races, both at new circuits and the travel distances, plus this had been something F1 had been wanting to trial for a while. I didn't miss it at all, not one bit, and I thought it made everything a bit more exciting when you got to Saturday and Sunday, really. Did you watch the practice before qualifying? No. I've got three shaking heads looking at me. I had it on, but I didn't watch it. So that's a quick segment of our show. Let's talk about qualifying then. So what, what, was, what were the key points really here? The, the biggest surprise was Gasly on fourth, Ricardo on fifth. I think Leclerc even got sixth or seventh, didn't he as well? Sixth. I've got I really no blind idea, faces looking at me right That was now. a 50-50 guess. It was either 7th or 6th, and I can't remember which one it was. So we're going to roll with it. I can't remember exactly where he was, but there was a few unexpected higher positions from qualifying this week. Obviously, Albon did his usual. No, oh, I'm not fast enough. Um, Stroll absolutely shafted himself. He was 15th. Um, Emma's just smirking in the corner there. It's not- and then... I'd like to say the biggest shot for me was Gasly. He was fantastic. That Alpha Tower, he should not have gone around that track as fast as it did. It certainly shouldn't have been beating a Red Bull. So I think Gasly has really... He's won out the battle for me already against Albon. Those two are very close rivals this season for obvious reasons. I think he's already won that rivalry. For sure. I, I want to touch on just the Red Bull... I don't even know a word for it. The, the the Red Bull drama that happened on on the Saturday. So we had Max with issues. So he was looking, it was risky whether he was going to get a lap in for Q3, if I remember correctly. Albon then was just being Albon, but he he delivered, well, I say he delivered, he delivered sixth just when it counted to get into that um into that spot. Other noticeable, uh, other points we could talk about are Giovinazzi qualifying 20th. What do you guys think about that? Standard. No one is shocked. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might say Who? <laughs> I will say this for Alex Albon. Going into this weekend, he was told his target for qualifying was a top 10. Uh, he has struggled on Saturday compared to Max Verstappen uh, to get even close to him. He did drop a sixth position qualifying this Saturday, which is huge for him. I think the test was always going to be, can he convert on a Saturday and a Sunday? Uh, Because he's on the ropes and he knows this, and there is that pressure to perform. And he did brilliantly, I think, to get that sixth position in qualifying. And it was just waiting to see if he could bring it all home on Sunday. He did. He had that one lap and he delivered it when he absolutely had to deliver it. So, well, you know, well done, Alban. I didn't think he was going to do it, but he proved me wrong, which I like. So we started the race with Bottas on pole, Hamilton in second, and Verstappen in third. Now that's the story of the season, really. The top three, it just it, they just shift around each race to make it uh, make it fair. It seems you had Gasly, like Callum said, um, starting in fourth, Ricardo fifth, Albon sixth, Leclerc seventh, etc. So let's cut to the race. Who wants to talk me through the, um, the beginning? Okay, so to, I just took a few notable instances from the first lap. One big one that I am going to talk about is Giovinazzi going from 20th to 14th. Yes, I don't know how. I don't know how. Like, there isn't that many overtaking spots on this track and he just seems to maybe he ran across the grass when the cameras weren't looking I, I don't fucking know but he got past six other cars fantastic first lap from him sorry just on that cow before you continue 
I didn't know that Giovinazzi had made a place up uh, at the start of every single race this season. I didn't know that until today. So In, I feel indeed a little he bad. has. He seems to start really well. It's as if he's very aware of what's going on around him at the start of every race, but then when it gets to like the end of lap one, <laughs> he forgets. He forgets, and it's just like trundle along for a little Sunday drive. But yeah, I, I just think that he 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 he's absolutely amazing at the start. Makes up so many places. He can keep out of trouble. He knows what's going to run around him. But then after lap one, it's just like yeah. It's like when they were building the recipe for Giovinazzi, they sprinkled in a heavy dose of starting prowess, and then they forgot, oh, we have to do something about the other 62 laps of this race today. His start craft is unparalleled, and then he goes, oh, I have to maintain these tires and fuel for the rest of the race? Yeah, that's not going to work for me. We're going to have to figure something out. Where did he finish? I'm, I'm curious now. I'm really curious. He finished in the top 10. Oh, yes, he did. Sorry. Yeah, he did. Alpha had a ninth and 10th place yeah. finish in this. Uh, so, I mean, maybe he got the recipe right today. Who knows? Yeah, yeah they, they sprinkled on those ingredients for him. Okay, so f- also, first lap antics, Stroll started 15th. He dropped down to 20th by the end of the first lap because he had contact with Ocon. To be honest with you, I only saw the replay once, so I couldn't quite decipher whose fault that was. If any of you know, please speak up. I think it was just a racing incident. Ocon moved across. It would have been too late for Stroll to put the brakes on and not have any contact. So I think it was just in the sort of the excitement of lap two, trying to gain position. I think it it was just a racing incident. As much as I hate saying that, because I would have loved to have put that on Stroll. Did you see her smiling the whole time she said that? (laughs) Emma's cheering, and th- this is also the second week in a row that he's uh, he's done this, isn't it? Yeah, it's becoming less of a racing incident and more of a normality now, isn't it, for Stroll? And if we're going to talk about the inability, he didn't have time to stop, Carlos signs begs to differ. So after lap one... Okay, do you want me to go through it then, yeah? Well, I was just gonna, I'm just looking. After lap one, <laughs> nothing happened. But um, yeah, go, go through it, Cal, if there's, if, there's, if there's anything else on it. Yeah, I mean, obviously... We, we saw pretty early on in the lap that Magnussen was spinning and we all thought, oh, here we go again. Haas in the gravel. I believe it was Vettel's fault. It was Vettel's fault, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just reiterating that for Matt to really bring the joy out of the American in the room. <laughs> I literally struck that note from my notes. I didn't want to talk about it. I, did, I was hoping everybody else would miss that, but... That was 100% Seb's fault. Matt, as no, a... I'd, um, put, I'd put that in bold, underlined. Like, that was <laughs> I meant to ask this, Matt, earlier in the show. I've been waiting to ask you this all week. Matt, do you know what Sebastian Vettel's favourite hobby is? Making me defend him week in and week out on this podcast. <laughs> that's, good, that's a good answer. Um, I was listening to an interview with him. His f- biggest passion in life is gardening and farming. I have never felt more distant from my hero than I do at this moment because I hate both of those things. <laughs> you, I, Emma, I, your face, Emma, your face. Oh my God, I'm not even joking either. It, he said this on a uh, podcast interview made by F1. It is so worth a listen. I was, I was on the floor in tears laughing. I mean, I know the man loves the Beatles and that was one of the things that initially drew me to him and... I now have to reevaluate everything. I was already struggling enough with him going to Aston Martin next year. Now you drop this on me. Why are you destroying my heroes, Ollie? Because it gives me massive pleasure. (laughs) He's he's dragging Ferrari through the mud behind his tractor is what he's doing. (laughs) And before this episode, I said, let's not digress. Uh, So Cal, continue. Uh, Yeah, so also on that first lap, we saw... um, Verstappen go up to second. He took Hamilton. The the first sort of going into the first sort of two corners. Um, Verstappen got a really good start. Hamilton seemed to get a good start, but so did Ricardo and Gasly behind. So Gasly tried to take Hamilton. He had to back out, meaning that Ricardo got Gasly. Hamilton slowed down a little bit, so Verstappen got Hamilton, and Bottas just carried on as normal. <coughs> <laughs> Have we got someone else with us today? 
Yeah, as me's in the room. <laughs> Lap six, Sainz overtook Norris for ninth. Perez was an 11th on medium tyres, and that's when I sort of started to think he's going to go on a really long stint on those tyres and aim for fourth because it all became a sort of strategy race because nothing really has been happening. It was a pretty standard start. And then it just became more about strategy and who can overtake um, through the pit stops, you know, the undercut and the overcut. And it became more about that rather than any racing because we were actually finding that drivers couldn't get close to the driver in front. There's only one DRS zone, if I'm right, but I really think there should have been two at Imola. So it was quite hard to overtake. So it then became a, a more of a strategic race through the pit stops than anything else. Emma, where would you have put that second DRS zone? I'm very curious. Do you know what? I actually, I was talking about this with my husband and he, we agreed on it. I can't actually remember. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the track map in front of me and I'm just thinking, I, I can't see. <laughs> we were see. talking about it and I can't remember <laughs> But to describe it, I would struggle as well. But there, there, I think yeah. there is one or two opportunities. So this was then a, it was, Callum, what, what race did you compare this to? Monaco. It was a fucking convoy for 63 laps, basically, wasn't it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, it, not 63, but it certainly was for a while. And um, I... Th- 90% of the race was a convoy, let's face it. it, it All right. There was a few moments that made it fun and special but the rest of it was just like Monaco I, I do try and make every race sound brilliant on the podcast but at, at this stage I was thinking oh dear this is a disaster so on lap nine Gasly was asked to box he had a terminal situation with the car and retired that is devastating I think I just screamed at the tally and that was about it it was really angry feelings I am not the biggest Pierre Gasly fan but I felt my soul leave my body and actually scared my dog because there was a just gut-wrenching Darth Vader style, no, when he pulled out. Uh, you got to feel for the me. man. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, it was awful, wasn't it? P4 to out the race. Oh, poor Gasly, poor Gasly. His time will come. He went from Gasly to Gasly very quickly with that failure. <laughs> How long have you been waiting to use that, Matt? That's <laughs> All recording session. I reckon 12 races have been waiting for that one. That, that was... <laughs> Sorry, all, that all was, of last year. That was a plan in the making. Sitting, yeah. sitting on the gold mine, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, your, vo- your, your microphone's gone uber loud all of a sudden. I don't know if it's just me or not. Yeah, it has gone quite loud. Want me to scoot it back some? Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it sounded like a rumble. <laughs> it sounds like you're inside of me. How is that? Is that <laughs> it better? does, it vibrates the whole... Like head, <laughs> the whole brain. <laughs> is, is this any better? Am I still inside your brain? Uh, well, you always are, mate, but um, <laughs> the, the microphone's better. It's scary here, but there's not a lot to eat. <laughs> Emma, like you said, the only um, sort of thing that we were looking to at this point was pit strategy. And how did that work out for everyone? Well, so on lap 14, you started to see some of the midfield drivers. Um, who were fighting for position through the pit stops, they started to pit. So you had Leclerc, Norris and Ocon. The the three of them, who were all fighting for position, came in and pitted. Yeah, and that's as exciting as it got, really. Very exciting. <laughs> then Mercedes, they just showed again how much they love Bottas, didn't they? And they pitted him from the lead. Uh, Hamilton was asked to extend his stint, which... I think what they were trying to do was so that Hamilton could get a big enough gap to be able to then pit and still come out ahead of Bottas. So Mercedes essentially, um, well, they did what they always do um, and they shafted Bottas. They were actually reacting to the max undercut on lap 19. That was the correct strategy call at that time, given the info they had, in my opinion. But I don't get paid the millions that James Allison and Bono do, so... Also, we can't forget that Bottas had damage to his floor, which he got on lap two. Everyone was pretty vague on this. No one really knew why or how he did it, but he did have damage. And there was actually some debris 
stuck in the car behind the barge board. So that was hindering him. I think at this point they thought, right, we need Lewis to stay out, get a big gap. We need to win this race. We need to win our seventh title in style. Bottas might get caught here. I think they just played it safe. Did we, did we as viewers know that Bottas had that issue at the time? I, I was, no, we didn't, did we? No, Bottas was told on lap 22 that he had floor damage. Hamilton had been pulling away from him quite quickly and Verstappen was closing in behind him. So they, they had to let him know. They, they said that he got this lap damage um, on lap two, probably because of debris from another car, possibly Stroll, probably was Stroll's Stroll. wing. Yeah. Yep. Stroll again. Yeah, always Stroll. Yeah, always Stroll. But the damage was quite significant to the point that it was slowing him down slightly. So Lewis goes into the lead uh, from third. Obviously, um, Max pa- Max pitted. So did Bottas, like we've just said. Lewis is then in the lead. In terms of, is there anything after that? That happened that you want to talk about because there's nothing I can't see anything re- re- anything that happened after that there was just a couple of things that I kind of was thinking about in terms of strategy while watching the race you know it was just in regards to what is Hamilton going to do is he going to pit is he going to be able to hold out on the tires that he had he was pulling out fastest laps after fastest laps so he I think he had a gap of about 26 and a half seconds to be be able to overcut the both of them to be able to overcut Bottas and Verstappen so we were thinking that maybe Hamilton could do another 10 more laps he was already catching up on Stroll who was at the back of the pack but then everything started kind of happening from lap 30 that's when um, Ocon retired and brought out a virtual safety car Oak off Oak off I think we've done one or two memes with that. Um, we we started it, by the way. Every meme that you see that says this, it was actually me and Cal's idea. So there are two things as a Seb man that came to me in uh, laps 39 and 40. Uh, first of all is Ferrari were just hounding Sebastian on the radio talking about other tires compounds. And he finally had a little bit of a Kimmy moment and just snapped at them and said, stop telling me other cars compounds. Like, I'm not driving those. I'm in this piece of junk you made for me. Let me do what I can with it. Uh, then the very next lap, they brought Sebastian Vettel in on lap 40. And he was in lap and four when they brought him in, wasn't he? Uh, sorry, sorry. He was, in, he was in fourth position when they pitted him. Yes, he was, which everybody in about a two-square-mile radius will attest that I was loving that. I was exuberant. They brought him in on that stop. He was projected to come out at that time, I think around seventh or eighth with the intervals they had. And it took a 13-second pit stop on top of an average loss of 27 to 28 seconds. And one of the notes I have here is this is the problem with Ferrari. In the olden days, if you mess up, you are dragged and hung in the streets like a pariah to showcase where you have failed. They have stopped chasing and expecting perfection. And Enzo Ferrari is going to poltergeist those two mechanics for those debacles. There is no excuse for a 13 second pit stop when it's something you practice day in, day out, and it's your job. I love Ferrari. I applaud those mechanics for trying, but get it right. Seb deserves better. The Tafosi deserve better. Live up to the expectations. You can, you can accept one mistake on a pit stop, right? It happens from time to time, but it wasn't one mistake, was it? It was two. So if one and both of them Happened at the same time. There was what, what, one tire that couldn't, they couldn't get the, 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 the um, what do you call it, wheel nut back on, and then they were slow getting the other one on, weren't they? Yeah, it was the left rear was quite slow coming off. You could see the, one of the pit crew could they, like yanking it. <laughs> it just wasn't coming off. It took them forever to get that left rear off. And then it was the right rear going back on. Instead of resetting, and to begin, they just try. I think that thing was cross-threaded. Okay, so Vettel had a. Uh, well, he dropped from what fourth to thirteenth? Was it fourteenth? Fourteenth. Wowie, that's his race over. K Mag wasn't the only one having a headache at that point in the race because I'm fairly certain I scared everybody because I literally started throwing my notes around the room after that pit stop. So I'm missing a couple laps. Well, you, you didn't really. 
other than Max Verstappen taking Bottas for second place. It was it was quite a good fight, wasn't it? Uh, not not really. Okay, cool. Well, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there was a pass. We're going to move on just like Max did. That's a highlight yeah. of this race. That is a highlight that that uh, uh, Red Bull overtook a Mercedes. We we you know we have to keep that in this podcast. Yeah, a wounded was, Mercedes. It, it was kind of Bottas's. It was, it was his own mistake, really. He went really wide, um, on, and then he went into the gravel. At Baza, I think it was, and Verstappen literally just took the opportunity. It was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Okay. And now nothing on Botas making a mistake. He was struggling with damage, and I think he just sort of he just went wide. Possibly he was just doing his wingman duties, slowing Verstappen down. Maybe. Red Bull were sort of saying over the radio, Botas is holding us up. Um, so that was kind of. Yeah. Well, you never at, know. At this stage, at least we can say that Verstappen didn't finish in second, did he? <laughs> Lap 51, Max's tire decided it didn't want to be out there anymore. Uh, and keep in mind, they, he had to go 44 laps on those tires. And looking at the replay, I don't know if it was debris, if there was a small puncture they didn't see, and it finally made itself known but it just a catastrophic tire failure on the right rear for Max. And I'm fairly certain I speak for everyone in the F1 world with the <laughs> words that came out of my mouth because we were excited to not see, in this house at least, a Mercedes 1-2, and that disappeared, and it was handed right back to them by that failure. Yeah, it, at this point, the race sort of got a bit interesting, didn't it? Um, for a little while, anyway. It, it was actually a, quite quite a bad failure. It's lucky that there wasn't a... A, a, you know, a, a tire barrier right there. He just spun off, but it was he was going pretty fast when it happened. Yeah, a massive off at Tamborello. And what they've done with that corner now is they've just made it into a huge gravel trap. So he literally just beached himself, which brought out the safety car. But at this point as well, with the safety car coming out and then Verstappen crashing out, it meant that we could potentially see George Russell in the points so this was incredible because of this it pushed george into 10th didn't it at that point so we all love george russell um we think he's talented he's a nice chap he's got potential he's done things in the williams that he shouldn't he's in 10th safety car out who wants to take it from here george russell now hates fernando alonso for picking him up because clearly it's, it's a bad luck charm, on it? Because he, Alonso said he makes no mistakes. This was the biggest mistake of his career. Like he just binned it. 90 degrees left into a wall under safety guard position. It's like Roman Grosjean-esque. It couldn't, it couldn't have been much worse for him really, could it? His, he's had some pretty, pretty close chances to points this year which haven't worked out. I can think of multiple times, but, but this one, I mean, Matt, what did, what, what, what did you think, mate? I think we as the nerds have to take responsibility for this as well. We all know the commentator's curse is a rear thing, but I recall almost all of us in the live race chat, as soon as Max's wheels popped, we were all saying, here's a chance for George Russell to finally get his point. Yeah, and it's gone. We brought that on you, George, and I apologize on behalf of the nerds. But to crash behind the safety car. I mean, you can't blame anything, anyone else for that. He looked oh. like he was having a good cry after as well. Like, Very Mika Hakkinen-esque, yeah. like 99 at Monza. You don't normally see George like that either. He, he, a marshal went over to him to try and talk to him and he literally just went, nah, nah, mate, don't want to talk him. to you. <laughs> he, he didn't quite do um, a James Hunt on him, but he, he, he said, no, thank you. He sat on the side uh, with his head in his arms and... Personally, from what I could see from his sort of breathing, he was crying his eyes out. That's what I believe. Visor was down. Visor it, was down. It was, it was certainly down, but it was leaking. And we all felt that. It, I it could was, see what he was trying to do. He was trying to warm up his tires behind the safety car. And mm-hmm. you know, there was a, from what it looked like on the circuit, it was just either a change of tarmac or a very slight bump or something like that. 
And when he was just sort of steering to warm his tires up, he he just he just went off, and there was so much polystyrene everywhere. And you're thinking, oh, what have you done? But he he was so apologetic to the fans after the race on his Twitter page. He issued a really quite heartfelt, very short apology because he knew he'd let everyone down. I think the thing is, we've all been pulling for the points, and he had it done. It was done and dusted. He had Nicholas Latifi behind him to block. It was there for the taking, and it just slipped through their fingers. And he had it achieved, and it may have crept into his head. And then to watch it just leave, I don't want to envy his mindset today and tonight, having to relive that moment. Rubbing my hands together in anticipation here. (laughs) So everyone starts to pit through the safety car, including Lance Stroll. He comes in really, really hot through the pits and he runs into the pit box and he, yeah, (laughs) he essentially runs a mechanic over. I came in like a racing point. (laughs) (laughs) What an idiot. And he blames it, he blames it on the fact that the, the, the brakes are cold. He he was so, he literally was like, sorry about that. Brakes were cold. The guy goes flying. I'm sorry, daddy. My brakes were cold. Daddy, can you buy me better brakes? Daddy, my brakes are cold. The mechanic's dead now. <laughs> That's quite a scary impersonation there, Cal. <laughs> he, he, for our listeners, no one died. Um, the, the mechanic was okay, we believe, but he did need medical attention, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. And Stroll issued it. He basically said, like, I'm sorry, brakes were cold. But poor guy. I really can we put a student driver it. tag on Lance Stroll's car? And to think that they're getting rid of Perez. Hmm. I know. Hmm. Okay. Well, Emma, that made your day. Certainly did. Especially when my daughter started cheering for Perez. You know, she's like looking at the Formula One. She's like, oh, I'll support the pink cars because she absolutely loves pink. So I said, right, okay. If you're going to support the pink cars, that's absolutely fine by me. But it has to be Perez. Shaving on Perez. Loved it. So we had a lot of action on the safety car restart. Emma, do you want to just summarise that as best as you can? It was a little bit chaotic, wasn't it? Yeah, safety car came in lap 58. Um, Kvyat and Perez both managed to overtake Albon. And I think he just got taken unawares and he spun out. Neil Poir. And remember we were talking about, uh, I can't remember who it was earlier in the race, wasn't able to break in time. Carlos Sainz is a Jedi for missing contact in that. Well done. So when, when you play F1 2020, you can turn off crashes, can't you? Where, where it just becomes a shadow <laughs> or a ghost. That's, he had that setting activated because even re-watching it, I still think he, it looked like he crashed into him. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was amazing that they did not, um, they didn't touch. Those reactions were probably among the quickest I have ever seen. Like, even playing a game, you could replay that five to ten times and you wouldn't stop. You wouldn't stop, even with the quickest reactions on a game. Never mind in a physical car, with physical conditions, with more to think about. He stopped the car. I don't know how, no damage. The, the reactions are crazy. But he is notoriously good at race starts as well. So he's just like Matt says, he's a Jedi. He was up there. That was up there with... Um... Max Verstappen saving um, in Brazil when his car spun going through, going on the opening, mm-hmm. um, going on the pit straight. That, that was up there with that, I think, in terms of how on earth did you continue in that race? Then we had a very, we, we had the defining moment for Albon. Yeah, he, he spun out and he, he ended up finishing the race last, if I'm right. Yep. Alboff. So let's just talk about this because this this will define his, his his future. He he was he was fighting a bit with was it Perez at the time? Um, Perez was Perez was coming up on him. It was it was looking like a done done deal. But why, why did what caused Albon to to go to 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 spin? What was it actually? Too much throttle, too much excitement, too much weight in that right foot. Whatever you want to put it down to. It was a lack of car control, and he he got too giddy, put his foot down too early. No patience. Driver error when he least needed that. 
I think this time next week we may be having a little conversation about his future. Um, we'll, we'll we'll see. But that honestly, I, f- I felt for him. I thought of all the all the moments where you needed to just not do that. This this was it, wasn't it? Really, Kvyat came back and overtook. Well, he he jumped a few places towards the end, didn't he? He was like we we usually call him the torpedo, don't we? He's notorious for crashing and extreme style, but he was a different kind of torpedo today. He. He actually had a really, really good solid drive and especially towards the end, he overtook three or four cars and I think he ended up finishing in fourth, I believe, didn't he? Uh, sorry, yeah, fourth. So fourth in front that, of the tech. Yeah, yeah, he got that fourth spot that Gasly should have had. He he, he did that for his teammate today, so that was that was really nice to see. You, you could argue that um, Albon should have had, but we won't go there. Um, and that was, as I have it, the race. Well, there's just one tiny thing as everyone was crossing the line. Roman Grosjean got a five-second time penalty for exceeding track limits. So we don't really see much of Grosjean through the race. And who would have thought it? <laughs> He's always got to have some sort of drama. You're watching Mercedes take their championship and, and the celebration of two cars driving together. And at the top of the screen, it says, track limits, five-second penalty for Roman Grosjean. Ah, oh, we couldn't ever have guessed that, could we? And the headaches continued for Haas because Kevin Magnussen was basically getting his head slammed into the car over and over again on upshifts and retired. And I made the joke with my missus, you know, whenever I have something bothering me or I'm sick, it's, I don't want to do anything about it. I just want to whine. It has to be very, very brutal. If you're Kevin Magnuson, the fighting Viking to go, listen, I'm not doing this anymore. This is my job and I'm coming in. And I think that's very, uh, a good summation of the Haas existence at this time. Sorry, Johnny. Low pain threshold, one could argue. <laughs> so, Ooh. can you believe it was a Hamilton win with Bottas behind? He can't have had that many problems with his car, can he? Because he finished in second. There's only one person who could talk about who, who was the last man on the podium. Daniel Ricciardo, once again. He's an, as I said before, he's an absolute hero. Absolute legend. Love him to bits. And to see him on the podium again was just quite heartwarming for me. And, you know, seeing him doing a shoey. Was, was awesome. So I am super, super happy. He, he really played the game very well in terms of the strategy today. So yeah, absolutely ecstatic to see him up there in third place. Daniel Cardo is so kind for sharing his shoey. Um, Lewis Hamilton, I did not think he would drink that. Oh my God, that, that really was an unexpected, that was the highlight of the race, I think, the most unexpected thing of the whole, the whole shebangle. Um, Matt, who was your driver of the day? And your race rating, for please. The- Driver of the day has to be Charles again. I know I'm biased. I keep celebrating the man. But with the lack of speed we have in the straights to hold off Checo at the end there, which Checo should not have been in six. That was a blunder from Racing Point to pit him that late in the game, sacrificing track position. Shame on you again, Racing Point. But Charles Leclerc, baby Iceman? I'm maybe coining that because the man is unflappable. He's got a lot more emotion than the Iceman. But Callum, who was your driver of the day? And oh, sorry, Matt, who was your, what was your race rating? So out of 10, how would you rate it? I think on the whole, with everything that unfolded in the end, I'm still going to give it a seven and a half out of 10. Uh, it did have a lullaby section in the middle. Uh, but with the excitement of the beginning and just the madness after that safety car, solid seven and a half. Good. So you, 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 you rate this race highly. Callum, um, driver of the day and your rating. My driver of the day, this may shock you, I'm going to go for Giovinazzi. Um, he started in 20th, finished in 10th. It's another points finish for him. He quietly did a very good job today. So he's got, a, he's got the driver of the day for me. I'm going to go for a 6.5. It didn't wow me, I'll be honest as well. I think there was five or six lap where I may have had a nap. It was all right, but I woke up to 40-odd messages in the race chat. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit of an out. Sorry, guys, but yeah, overall, I'm giving it a 6 out of 10. Driver of the day, Giovinazzi. So not a 6.5, it's a 6. Okay, okay, good. Um, Emma, driver of the day, go on, and your race rating? 
Daniel Ricardo all day. But race rating probably a six. I think the first thirty laps of the race was extremely boring to watch. But once we had a couple of safety cars, a couple of people retire, got quite exciting. So it's quite pleasantly surprised, you know, the last half of the race. So yeah, I'll give it a six. Awesome. I'm going to say my driver of the day was Kvyat, actually. Um, I think he, he did pretty well. He started in eighth. He finished in fourth. That was a cracking result from him. Okay, it wasn't the most exciting performance, but it was solid. My rating is going to be a six, I think. Um, it would have been about a two and a half if, the, if that incident hadn't happened and the safety car came out. Very quickly, I think Latifi has to be given a shout out this week as well. Uh, qualified 19th, finished 11th. That was a great race from him. He gets overlooked because of George Russell. He deserves an attaboy for this week. I don't care who gets the points for Williams as long as they get it, but I want it to be George. We can't forget to say well done to the Mercedes team. They got their seventh championship in a row today. Now, that is an incredible achievement. Okay, it's not exciting. We, we knew it was going to happen, but we've got to take our hats off, right? Nicky would. So, that's our race review. What have we got coming up next week? Uh, it's no races, is there? When's the next race? Turkey. And that is going to be uh, the, start, the weekend starting on the 13th of November. So we have got two weeks with no racing. And Jesus wept. We might actually be able to talk about some other things on this podcast now. Thank you very much for listening. This was the Cut to the Race podcast with me, Ollie. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Thank you for joining us as always. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out our website, formulanerds.com and get yourself over to the merch section. Get yourselves a cheeky little hoodie. Why not, eh? You, you certainly need one, Cal. I'm, I'm looking at what you're wearing, that Tommy Hilfiger top there. Okay, we'll see you next week. Peace out. Podcast Network.